Good morning, Gen U. How's everybody doing today? Come on, you made it. You're here. Let's hear it. <laughs> All right, there we go. Well, it's always such an honor and a privilege to, to share with you guys what um, God lays on my heart, what you know, the Lord's just been stirring um, in my spirit. <clears throat> and over the last couple of years, I've definitely learned to take nothing for granted, especially moments in time uh, like this one. You know, maybe it's because of my recent health issues. <laughs> maybe it's the fact that my little girl's now 10 years old. But I've definitely been contemplating my own uh, mortality as of late. Those of you that are my prayer warriors, you know, you know those car commercials where they're like, push, pull, or drag your car in for a trade-in value? I feel like if one more bad thing happens, that's going to be my value if one more thing breaks on me. <laughs> it's true. But I say that to say this, you know, not one of us is guaranteed a tomorrow, And when we pass from this life to the next, uh, each one of us is going to have two dates on our death certificate, the day we're born and the day we die. But what matters most is what we do with that little dash in between. See, in the Great Commission, we're each called to preach the gospel to all the ends of the earth. But I once heard that the trick to doing this effectively is to only use words when necessary. See, if a picture's worth a thousand words, our actions are worth far more. In fact, Jesus told us it would be by the love that we show this lost and hurting world that people would truly know that we're his disciples. The Apostle John, in 1 John 3, 18, he said, Dear children, let us not love with words or tongue, but in actions and in truth. You know, Jesus also told us that in this world we're going to have problems. And I wish I could stand up here today and tell you that things are just going to magically get better. But for things to truly get better, it likely means things are going to get much worse. Well, pastor, this is a bit of a downer opener, right? Well, hang with me. I say all that to say this. It's easy for us to show love to others when they're kind, when they share similar beliefs that we do. But what do we do when people cut us off? We were coming home from Maverick, um, our second viewing of it, and someone pulled in front of us, and I can still remember thinking to myself, too close for missiles, switching to guns, <laughs> right? <laughs> How about when your neighbor continually blows their leaves into your yard, Filling they sold claymores on Amazon. <laughs> Those are little things. How about when people have wronged you? How about when people have betrayed you? How about when people are set out to destroy you or that which you love and hold dear in this world? It's much harder, right? So today I want to talk to you about what we do when we find ourselves in a place we did not intend to be. And this is certainly a place we never want to find ourselves. Sometimes it can be our actions or even our lack of action that lands us here. Other times it could be the false accusations or simply the evil in this fallen world that lands us here. But often we find ourselves here at no fault of our own. And I'm sure you can already picture such a place in your mind as this is a place we long to escape from or one we just want to avoid entirely. Prison is what comes to my mind. But it's here in such a dank, dark, and hopeless place that I truly believe God does some of his greatest work in miracles. Nelson Mandela once said, no one truly knows a nation until one has been inside its jails. A nation should not be judged by how it treats its highest citizens, but its lowest ones. So the premise of today's message is going to center around what we do when we find ourselves either literally or figuratively imprisoned by things like poor life choices, the pain and consequences of our past, the fear of the future, depression, or even the grief that we wrestle with because prisons keep us stuck and they prevent us from stepping into the future. 
If you have your Bibles or your version app, you can um, pull that up now. We're going to be reading out of Acts 16.16. 16. It says, when we, this is uh, Paul and Silas talking, were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. And she earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune-telling. And this girl, she followed Paul and the rest of us, shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. This is interesting. She's actually speaking truth. So this shows us that evil can speak truth when it suits them. And she kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so troubled that he turned around and said to this spirit, In the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. And at that very moment, the spirit left her. So why do you think a demon announcing the truth about Paul would annoy him so much, right? Well, I think if Paul had accepted these demons' words, despite them being true, he would appear to be linking this gospel message with these demon-related activities, not to mention this prophecy-for-profit approach that these girls' owners had taken over her. And this association, it would definitely damage, it would dilute the message of Jesus Christ. And this is key. Remember, Satan wants to destroy, he wants to counterfeit He wants to pervert anything that God loves or stands for in this world, including us. All right, in verse 19, we pick up, when the owners of the slave girl realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said, these men are Jews and are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. And the crowd then joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten. And then after they were severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. And upon receiving these orders, the jailer puts them in the inner cell and fastens their feet in stocks. So essentially, Paul and Silas were bound and put into solitary confinement. Mm. The Bible, it teaches that we have three enemies that are set against us. These enemies want to defeat our family, they want to control our life, and they want to steal our soul, and they want to keep us from having any joy or meaning in this life. Think of these as like the anti-trinity. The Bible calls these three enemies we have the world, the flesh, and the devil. You see, the world comes around you. Satan comes against you. But the battle over our flesh is fought within us. Remember, when we feed the flesh, we starve the spirit. But when we feed the spirit, we starve the flesh. We have to pick one. And of these three enemies, our biggest enemy is not the world. It's not even Satan. It's us. The greatest war we face is not around us or against us. It's within us. And in the story we just read, the world is represented by the slave owners and the townspeople. The devil is embodied by the evil spirit that was cast out. So next I want us to look at the war that was being waged in Paul and Silas's mind as they were imprisoned. And what they did so that their flesh, so that their negative thoughts did not win, since the battlefield of the mind is where these war over our flesh are being waged. And what I love about this story is Paul and Silas, they're barely into the first stop on what promised to be this widely effective evangelist campaign that God had called them to through this vision. However, they quickly found themselves victims of these false charges. And now they're locked up in the depths of this Roman jail. I'm sure they were wondering, did we mishear God? (laughs) Like, this, this isn't what we signed up for. Denzel Washington recently said, when the devil ignores you, then you know you're doing something wrong. The devil goes, oh, no, leave him alone. He's my favorite. He's my homie. Conversely, when the devil comes at you, maybe it's because you're trying to do something right. 
You know, and while the devil, he can't predict the future, he can certainly observe our course corrections in life. He can see the trajectories that we're on. That's why things get harder when we get saved. Because the devil doesn't want that. These kids, be praying for these kids that went to Beach Freak. The devil sees what happened there. He doesn't want the future that's going to come out of what came out of that camp. Amen? Amen. So what did Paul and Silas do? Did they moan? Did they whine? Did they blame God? Did they give up? Negative. We read that their time in jail was marked by two activities. We pick back up in Acts 16, 25. It says, about midnight, Paul and Silas were what? They were praying and singing hymns to God. (laughs) I love that. And this next part's even more special. It says, the other prisoners were listening to them. Oh, man. They were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. And then there's this violent earthquake, and the foundations of the prisons were shaken. At once, all the prison's doors flew open, and everybody's chains came loose. Next, we read, the jailer wakes up, and when he sees the prison doors open, he draws his own sword and was about to kill himself because he thought all these prisoners had escaped. So we see the answer to Paul's prayer comes with his suddenness, comes with his authority in the form of this great earthquake, shaking the very foundation of the prison, bursting open the doors, and breaking the loose, the chains of every prisoner in there. And this is key. I think how we as believers respond in our times of trouble, in our times of circumstances, plays a major role in how others respond to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen? People are watching us. This whole, you know, words over actions, we can talk the talk all day long, but when it hits the fan, people are watching how we respond in our times of trouble. And to give you some context in this story, the guards of the day were responsible for the prisoners, and they themselves would be held accountable for the escape. And their punishment was usually the same sentence that the prisoner had. So often these guards would be executed. That's why we see this guard taking out his own sword about to kill himself. He thought all the prisoners had escaped, so he was going to be held responsible for all of their sentences in here. But in verse 28, Paul shouts, don't harm yourself, we are all here. So the jailer calls for the lights and he rushes in and he falls trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, sirs, what must I do to be saved? Remember this little demon-possessed girl in the beginning of the story tells us. They replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord over him and to all the others in his house. The jailer then brings them into his own house, sets a meal before him, and he was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole family. (laughs) Next we see, release those men, the jailer told Paul. (laughs) The magistrates have ordered that you and Silas be released. Now you can go, go in peace. But Paul said to the officers, no, no, no. <laughs> they beat us publicly without a trial, even though we are Roman citizens. That The people didn't know that in the beginning. They thought they were just Jews. And they threw us into prison, and now they want to get rid of us quietly. No, let them come themselves and escort us out. And the officers then reported this back to the magistrates. And when they heard that Paul and Silas were Roman citizens, they were alarmed, as they should be. They came to appease them and escorted them from the prison requesting them to leave the city. Then after Paul and Silas came out of the prison, they went to Lydia's house where they were met with the brothers and encouraged them. And then they left. You know, this, is, this is one of my favorite stories in the Bible. And there's a lot of different ways you can, you can go um, in interpreting this and, and messages. But you know, there's one key takeaway from this encounter that I really want you guys to hear. And if you hear nothing else today, please hear this. There is purpose even in our prisons. There is purpose in our prisons. But to find this purpose, we have to be able to do four things. And the first thing that we need to do is we have to learn how to lean into the pain. 
The prophet Jeremiah, he tells us that we can't heal a wound by saying it's not there. So this first step is a lot of stepping out of denial. And I think there's no greater teacher in life than pain and failure. But when we turn to Christ in those, we can find strength in our times of weakness. As we lean into God, God leans into us. So as we face our pain, God's able to heal that pain so we can become what he calls each of us to be, redeemed, made whole, sanctified, holy. Amen? James 1, 2 through 4 says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you will be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Society, it tells us that pain is useless. In fact, people are coming to believe that people in pain are useless. But despite this worldview, I'm telling you that pain has a value, as do the people who experience it when we allow the light of Christ to shine on it. Amen? All right, first thing we do is we lean into the pain. Second thing we do is we lean into people. The devil, he wants us to feel like we're isolated. He wants us to feel alone and vulnerable. That's why we have to learn how to lean into one another. The Bible in uh, James 5.16 says we are to confess to God to be forgiven, but we're confessed to one another to be healed. I think many of us are forgiven, but we're not healed because we're not part of ministries like Celebrate Recovery, Freedom, Fight Club, Iron Sharpens Iron, which brings people together and is where God can show up to defeat Satan's lies and bring about healing. Amen? We either talk things out in small groups with one another and in prayer with God, or we end up taking things out on ourselves or often those closest to us. It's a vicious cycle. That's why we push so many people away that are close to us. You know, it's just, it's a sad thing to watch happen. Leaning into people means we must learn to be vulnerable with one another. And we do this so the enemy can't hold things over us that we're already talking about in the open. How many of you, the enemy just whispers things in your ear, God can't use you for this, you can't do that, you did this. If we're already talking about it, he can't say those things anymore. As we share our stories, they lose their power over us. And we take back the power because freedom is not about attaining perfection. Freedom is about having nothing to hide. 2 Corinthians 1, 4 says, God comforts us in our troubles so that we can comfort others with the same comfort God has shown us. Mm. Healing happens in community, and it's a beautiful thing to watch people go through this process to where they can, they can comfort other people with that same comfort God has shown them. Mm. And listen, while we may not be able to change the world, we can change the world for one person at a time by showing them the love of Christ, by coming alongside and then by standing in the gap, by staking yourself next to them. Amen? Amen. Yes. All right. So we lean into the pain. We lean into people. The third thing we do is we lean into God's presence. Because when we lean into his presence, he flips the script on the painful seasons in our lives. And the process of life change, it begins in the presence of God. As his presence, it goes before us. It prepares the way. His presence is with us wherever we go. He's kind of, you know, omnipresent, right? And it changes everything. He's not only with us in our circumstances, he's above them and he's all around them. James 4, 7 through 8 says, submit yourselves into God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. And I love this part. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. He waits at the door to our hearts and he knocks. And listen, if something is important to you, it is important to God. I feel like in life, sometimes we go through and we're like, oh, I don't want to bother God with these small things. I just, you know, when I need something big, I'll call him, you know, <laughs> like he's in reserve. He wants to be a part of every facet of our lives. If it's important to us, it's important to God. So we lean into the pain. We lean into people. 
we lean into God's presence. And the fourth thing we need to do is we lean into this greater purpose. God has a purpose for us that is just waiting to be discovered. And what I love most is how God, he never wastes our pain nor our past. He uses everything. And he will use the greatest misery in our life to prepare us for the greatest ministry that you could ever imagine. And I'm here to tell you that God has a destiny built into your lives. And until Jesus comes back, he's not shaping any of us yet. Amen? <laughs> We're all being shaped into his image. I love this. Genesis 50, 20, it says, What the enemy intended to harm me, God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. For God's gifts and his calls are irrevocable on your life. God has brought each of us to this part of our lives, and he can use our struggles, you know, our greatest failures in life, and he can turn them around for glory when we surrender to him. And this, I'm talking from personal experience here. It is much better to be clay in the potter's hands than for him to need the hammer and chisel for him to shape us into his image. I'm telling you, I'm telling you from personal experience, submit, give it all to God, surrender. It's, it's a weird thing thinking surrender leads to victory. It's, it's a very weird thing to, to think that can happen because it's not a worldly thing. It's a spiritual thing. And I know that dealing with circumstances of life, it can feel like you're in prison. I know it can feel a lot like coming to a den with no hope in sight. Like Charlie was talking about in worship, you know, a long time ago, a lot of you had something you feel like God spoke to you, this promise, and it feels like it's a dead end. If God speaks something, it will come to pass. (laughs) His promises are yes and amen. It's just his timing and his ways are much higher than our own. But I also believe sometimes God brings us to a dead end to reveal a new direction. Mm. When Moses came to the Red Sea, it certainly seemed like a dead end, didn't it? But God brought him there to do a great miracle, and he ended up destroying the whole army of Pharaoh at this, in the process. So we have to learn how to trust him at the dead ends of life, because when God calls us to a place we've never been before, sometimes it takes us having the courage to lose sight of shore to get there. That's a lot of faith. It's a lot of trust in God, giving him all. And sometimes we just have to mean, we have to wait. <laughs> this means digging in where we are, using what we have, staking ourselves next to the people, calling on our brothers and sisters, learning how to thrive in trench warfare. It's what it feels like. But the good thing about dead ends is that we have nowhere to go. <laughs> and God, he has a hard time getting us to wait on him, myself included. We plan, we strategize, <laughs> we control, we manipulate. We want to know the how, the why, the when, the where, everything, right? Mm. cast your net on the other side of the boat is what Jesus said (laughs) after a whole night of empty netted fishing. (laughs) Their fishing was at a dead end, but they had not tried all the options yet. And this story is even more amazing. We had a chance to go to Israel and I didn't realize it at the time. They only fished at night. So for Jesus to come on the scene and then want them to fish during the day, um, the fish could see the nets. (laughs) So it was like, there's no way we're going to catch fish. But sometimes it just takes listening to Jesus and doing what he says, because Papa knows best, right? Mm. So when we come to a dead end, we have to learn to listen better. Mm. It's hard to listen when you're talking. (laughs) But when we listen, we're able to, to hear God, the Spirit speak to us. And in those moments, we're able to understand fully that his ways and his timing are so much higher than our own. And as we truly listen for God at the, dens, at the dead ends of life, you know, our needs will begin to turn into praise. And I'm telling you right now, praise is the best cure for anxiety. You know, whenever I'm performing spiritual guidance and, and people are dealing with stress, when they're dealing with anxiety, 
I, th- I tell them to write down their fears, to write down their worries. One thing, just getting it out of the head on paper helps. But then the next thing we do is we turn those fears, those worries, we turn them into prayers to God. We write those prayers down in those journals. Then we turn those prayers into praise in advance of knowing that God is going to show up and he's going to show off in their circumstances according to his ways and according to his time. You know, all throughout the Bible, they reach dead ends and jails and battles and storms and famine and starvation. But in the midnight hour, they learn how to praise God in their circumstances. And when we keep our eyes fixed upon the Lord and we keep our mouths full of praise, our dead ends will become powerful doors of hope. Amen? Amen. Mm. I've learned in life there's no growth without change. There's no change without loss. There's no loss without grief. There's no grief without pain. But God, he can use our circumstances, the change in them, the pain we feel to make us better. But we have to acknowledge that we'll never have growth without the pain. That's why they call them growing pains, right? So today I want to ask you, are you living your life with purpose? So time is running out? Because sadly, a life without cause is a life that will have little effect. Are you living your life stuck in a prison, either of your own making or one brought on by the help of the evil one? Regardless of what you're facing right now, it's not the end of your story. God is with you. He's for you. And he always will be. And Jinyu here is for you as well. This is a place where no one fights alone. And we take that seriously. Amen? If you believe that this morning, go ahead and stand to your feet. Let me pray for you. And Pastor Kami will come up after we do the Lord's Prayer. Hmm. Father God, we come before you today with open hearts. For you know our wants, you know our needs, you know our desires. So today my prayer is that you begin to speak to us in our prisons, in the dead ends of life that you would breathe a fresh wind into our lives, into our circumstances, as we learn how to lean into the pain, as we learn how to lean into one another, but most importantly, as we learn how to lean into your heavenly presence, Lord, so that we can find the purpose you desperately want us to discover. We thank you that you waste nothing, (laughs) not one tear we shed, not one ounce of pain we feel, as long as we surrender it all to you. So right now, right here in this moment, Lord, we cast our burdens on you. For we know your yoke is easy and your burden is light. And we ask you right now to extend your righteous, your victorious right arm around us to provide comfort and security as our Abba Father. And we give you praise in advance for everything you're doing right now in this place. It's your name I pray these things, Jesus. Amen, amen, amen. Mm. Say the Lord's Prayer. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen.